You're listening to Soundbite, the podcast that's food for your ears. I'm Celine Roberts. This week, we're out in the woods hunting for pawpaws with Andrew Moore, the author of Pawpaw, In Search of America's Forgotten Fruit. I met Moore at his north side home, and soon we were headed for the hills to try to track down the largest edible fruit native to the United States. I was introduced to Pawpaw six years ago by accepting an invite to the Ohio Pawpaw Festival. Uh, I didn't know anything about the fruit until going there, and I, I haven't, haven't been able to put it down since. And Pawpaw is the largest edible fruit native to the United States, and it's the only member of a tropical fruit family uh, known as Ananasia or the custard apple family. Um, and so the fact that we have a, a custardy tropical relative growing in the woods of Pennsylvania is reason enough to look further into this fruit. When we spoke on the phone a couple of weeks ago and you were asking me what my familiarity with this fruit was, which was zilch, my only association with it is having a custard apple relative in the Caribbean. And I remembered how delicious that was and that was what prompted me to call you. So I'm hoping that I'm gonna get to taste a pawpaw today since I've never had one before. Yeah, I, I think we can make that happen. Do you have the forager mentality of you would like me to not disclose locations or well, what? How do you feel about that? Yeah, so so there's a couple things. I mean, there are other places I could have taken you um, where like people in that world go get pawpaws, but I didn't want to blow up their spot or there. A lot of those are also like in somewhat private property so I didn't want to go to like someone's like front or backyard and gather pawpaws um, I just figured for the, for this uh, for this purpose we'd go somewhere that was public property um, so yeah so I it's probably fine to say where we are to say that we're in uh, we're going to Riverview Park um, so one of the reasons why we're, we're coming to Riverview Park um, we could have gone to uh, another city park where there's a, a more known and, and more established pawpaw patch. Uh, but one of the reasons we're coming here is because I've never been here. Um, I've looked for the pawpaws here and I just can't find them. I don't, I don't know how big the patch is. It, it may be very young. It may just be a few trees. But a few friends have told me that they're here. I thought it'd be more fun if it's a, an adventure for both of us. So um, it's a real hunt. So it's a real hunt. Yep. Yep. It's unknown. We'll see what we find. <laughs> so we found them already. Yeah, so I thought I was, we were going to go on a, a really long hunt. Um, I didn't know where this patch was, um, even though I've hiked these trails tons of times. And we're walking down the hill, and here they are. They're just staring at us. And it's a huge patch. Like, and, you know, I, I can't miss a pawpaw patch. I've been looking for them long enough that I, I can see them anywhere. And I must have walked this trail dozens of times. And, and yeah, so <laughs> that was really easy. What we're seeing... Um, there's a little cove here, um, and there's an, a large Atlantis tree and a Norway maple in front of it. And then the understory here is all pawpaw. The smaller trees there are so all pawpaw. All this low brush? Yeah, all that low brush is pawpaw. There's, there's some vines, maybe wild grape growing on it. Um, but, but otherwise, uh, that's a, a dense clonal pawpaw patch. Um, and there's, a, there's an opening, uh, there's, there, so they're getting a fair amount of light which uh, although the pawpaw is native to the understory, um, that's where they're, they're found in the wild, the, the opening, the light here, uh, will actually uh, 
increase fruit production. So this is actually a good thing. And, and from, a, from a forager's or, you know, a hiker's perspective, this is good. This means more bigger pawpaws. Um, perhaps. Perhaps. Should we take a look? Yeah, let's take a look. This is ridiculous. I can't believe. Maybe I'm good luck. Uh, no, I, I always go this way because there's this great stand of umbrella magnolias that way that are absolutely gorgeous. So I'm always like beelining for the uh, magnolias. Melanthus. Not sure what this is. Some other, you know, shrubby brambles here. And then do you see this long leaf here that's almost, you know, longer than a foot? That's a pawpaw. So this is a, a, a very nice, uh, typical, very typical clonal pawpaw patch. So pawpaws spread uh, via root suckers, root shoots. Um, many trees do this, um, and pawpaw is one of them. So often what you have when you go to a, a wild place, um, or even in your garden, is you'll have um, like a pawpaw mother tree. So like the original seedling. From it, from its roots, uh, shoot up all these other uh, young pawpaws. And so that's called a, a clonal reproduction uh, from the root suckering. Which is also where we get the song uh, Way Down Yonder in the Pawpaw Patch. And the expression Pawpaw Patch, or Pawpaw Thicket, comes from the fact that it does grow clonally and it creates this patch, which we're looking at right now. Alright, so now you're going to have to get, you're going to get stuck by thorns if you want to get pawpaws. So this is, just, this is just the way it goes. So I'll clear some of these grapevines off. I'll just show you things as we walk. Um, this is this is a pawpaw branch, so I don't know if you've ever seen one. Uh, this is a pawpaw leaf. I've definitely, now that I'm seeing it and I know what it is, I've definitely seen it before. But it's, I never would have known that there were tasty fruits on it. Especially being an Ohio girl, you, you have lots of these out there. And I'll show you, uh, so this is the leaf, and then these actually uh, rounded buds here, that's actually a flower bud um, that will uh, produce a flower next year. When they flower, what do they look like? Uh, well, they're these beautiful, uh, they're fairly unique um, uh, in these eastern woods. They're uh, a maroon, a uh, small nodding maroon uh, bloom. And nodding means they, they actually hang down instead of facing up. Um, they're, they're, they're small little, little teacup flowers. And they, they, they resemble um, a trillium. So if folks are familiar with the, the wildflower trillium, um, it's that same kind of maroon color, and it actually has a similar scent of, of fermentation that you can smell. Ye yeasty. It's a very yeasty smell. So when you said that your car smelled like overripe pawpaws and I said it smelled like fresh yogurt, I wasn't too far off. No, you weren't far <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah. So before we go in, I'll give you a little, uh, little more insight on why we may or may not find fruit. A wild pawpaw patch they often don't produce fruit for a few reasons. Um, one of them is, um, I described earlier, the, uh, the suckering, the, the patch uh, formation. And because it's suckers of the same tree, it's, it's clonal re uh, reproduction. It's the same tree over and over and over. So it's each of those trees in that patch, if, if they are a sucker, um, have the same DNA. So the pawpaw needs cross-pollination to set fruit. It's not self-fruitful. So one of the reasons you often don't find fruit is because what, what you're seeing, although it looks like this great big pawpaw grove and you're, you should be, you know, expecting all this fruit, it's really just the same tree that's replicated itself. So you're seeing and no diversity at all. Yes, often. Um, that's not always the case. And so that's why sometimes when you do find a, 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 a grove that's loaded with fruit, 
what's more than likely you're seeing is more seedlings in that um, grove. Um, and that's, you know, if a tree is productive and it drops fruit, um, if an animal brings a seed in from another uh, nearby patch, you're going to have greater diversity in that patch. And so you'll have a greater chance of, of getting fruit. But unfortunately, that's not the only thing keeping it from fruiting. Um, uh, lack of sunlight. So again, although they're, this is their native habitat, is these under understory woods, um, if they're not getting enough sunlight, they're just not going to produce fruit. That holds them back. And then, and then also uh, just lack of pollinators sometimes. They're not pollinated by bees. The insects that do pollinate pawpaws are just less efficient. Uh, so it's um, flies and beetles and a couple other uh, little insects um, that, that just aren't as good at the work as, as, say, a bee. So those are a few reasons why sometimes you don't find pawpaws. All right, so let's just continue marching in. As far as mother trees versus the suckers go, how far will an individual tree spread? Like if I were looking out at a landscape and seeing a large patch of pawpaws, so, is it likely that it would be the same tree over like half a mile or is that too much? Yeah, it could be. Uh, we, we really don't know the limits of a, of a patch. So some patches, uh, particularly uh, following uh, rivers or streams, they can go on for miles. They can be immense. Without you know, doing DNA sequencing of, of trees, it'd be really no, hard to define where one patch ends and one patch begins. But I would imagine as, as if you get into like a mile-long pawpaw patch, you're going to see seedlings and, and more diversity as you walk through it. All right, so in the pawpaw patch or in the, in the wild, one of the ways you can tell, and this is what you do if you're just really excited, you know, you can, you can look up for fruit and try to find it in the trees, or you can just grab a tree and shake. And if the pawpaws are ripe, they'll just fall. You don't shake it very hard because you don't want to knock down unripe fruit. But if you just shake, they'll fall. And we're not, we're not hearing or seeing anything, so that means uh, there's probably nothing in this particular tree. Now you know where to come back. That's right, yeah. Is it unlikely that this patch, since it's already flowered, will produce fruit this year? Yeah, so this would be the time. Mm -hmm. this, this is it. So in Pittsburgh, September is roughly pawpaw month. So if you want to shake it, you'll, you'll get a feel for what it feels like when there's no fruit in the tree. It's pretty sturdy for a little tree. Yeah. And if you were to, if there were fruit in it, you would sort of feel the, the, the weight kind of pulling to one direction. You also, uh, as we get further into September, you would just come here and look on the ground and, and you'll, you'll just see pawpaws. You know, if it's a producing patch, you'll just see pawpaws on the ground. Nothing. Nothing. The, the unripe pawpaw, though, is it's tricky. Uh, it kind of hides uh, in the tree because until it, until it starts to ripen, you can't really tell the difference between a leaf and a, and a ripe pawpaw. The, the color is, is very similar, especially looking up through the dappled light. How large are the fruits? So it depends. So a wild pawpaw can be very small. It can be like as small as a peanut, um, but then they can get much larger, almost approaching apple size. So although it's been my job uh, to travel to pawpaw orchards, pawpaw research institutions, and uh, hunt wild pawpaws, I still, I still do get excited coming to a place like this and, and looking for pawpaws. I, I mean, I've got a refrigerator full of pawpaws at home, but I still really want to find one right now. I can see the excitement. Yeah. <laughs> now this one's huge. Look at this. This is like the, probably the biggest tree in the bunch, you know, even looking at diameter. 
Yep, you've got a lot of size diversity. Is this tree, what would you say, 40 feet? Is this about a top out for a pawpaw tree or have you seen ones that are much larger? I, there's, there's a few in the, in the mid-Atlantic southern states that, uh, that are m larger than this, but typically in, in my experience in, in Pennsylvania, this is, this is what we find is, we call this a big pawpaw. So if I had a, if I had, if I was forced to make a guess, I would say that this is a clonal patch, and we're not seeing any any cross pollination, um, and because it's not self fertile, we're not seeing fruit. There's also not like rotten skins from last year or seeds, um, indicating that there's a lot of fruit here. So the other reason why I wanted to come here. Um, was because in 1916 there was a contest to find the best pawpaws in America. Um, and one of the entries came from a place uh, from Allegheny, Pennsylvania, um, from the observatory, which is where we are. The observatory is in uh, Riverview Park. So at one point there was a fruiting pawpaw here and someone knew about it and subscribed to the journal that was was conducting the contest and they sent in they sent in a pawpaw to the contest and uh, it was noted it wasn't it didn't win the contest but it was noted as being one of the exceptional pawpaws which is you know neat to think about for many reasons I don't really think that this is that tree or that patch uh, but it could be you never know how long lived might a pawpaw tree be so a tree w wouldn't live uh, quite so long but the patch can just go on uh, indefinitely so these could be cousins. Could be cousins. That tree. Sure, and and you know, I mean, it's really hard to say. This could be uh, some hobbyist put a put a seed out here, you know, 30 years ago, and, and this is what we're seeing. Um, or it could be uh, a remnant stand from from that long ago. You know, you you look through this park, you're certainly not seeing hundred-year-old trees. So uh, I wouldn't assume that a lot of this was here uh, when that contest was was held. Um, but, you know, if, if the, the hillside was cut down, um, the pawpaw could have re-sprouted from its roots. So, you know, it, it could be. Uh, but, but again, it's likely not. We're also not at the observatory. But, but as you were suggesting, uh, you know, um, this could be uh, a link to the, those genetics, um, those wild genetics that someone selected from uh, on the observatory. Or it's just another pawpaw patch, and, and that's good enough. Speaking to the history of pawpaws, it's one of the things that, given your book, was something I wanted to pick your brain about. I don't think very many people know about pawpaws still. You, you've made several references now to hobbyists and sort of this specialized group of people that are really into pawpaws, but pawpaws used to be more well-known. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, certainly going back to Native Americans, if the if the tree grew where, where a tribe was, they knew this fruit. Um, and then European explorers and colonists, uh, they knew and encountered the fruit. And so much so that we have at least a dozen towns in the United States named Pawpaw. Uh, Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, all these places are named Pawpaw because of the fruit, because there were enough there or because they, they wanted to celebrate it in some way. Um, and then there was a, a process of forgetting. 
we encountered it less and knew it less um, to the point of, of nearly a, a culture forgetting about this plant, um, a plant that has so much potential. But throughout the years, there were uh, people who, who kept the flame alive. You know, I mentioned hobbyists and other folks, and, and, and certainly those of us who are, are working with the fruit now were incredibly thankful and indebted to those people uh, who, who, who kept working with it throughout the years. Does the plant or the fruit have any other qualities that are useful, like medicinal qualities? Yeah, in, historically, uh, the you know Native Americans may have prized the fruit uh, just or the tree just as much for the the tree's inner bark for making uh, cordage and and ropes and and fish nets. Um, that that may have been equally important to groups than fruit itself. In modern times, the tree, the the leaves, the plant itself uh, may have potential for fighting cancer. A, a researcher at Purdue. Um, discovered that these ananaceous acetogenin compounds found uh, within the tree were the most potent cancer-killing compounds that he had found in, in all of his research of over 3,000 plants. So there's still research to be done to develop that, but it certainly has potential, and you can understand why people would be excited by something like that. All right, so I propose uh, we do a quick hike through the rest of the park and back. We're not going to... I don't expect we'll see any pawpaws, um, but we'll, we'll just we'll just circle and then then head back to my place where we have fresh pawpaws we can eat. Great. So this is one of my pawpaws, um, grown from seed. Oh wow, it looks so healthy. Yeah, yeah, and this is what it looks like in full sun. You know, more pyramidal, um, you know, fuller, uh, rather than the the tall and skinny like we see in the woods. And it did flower for the first time this year. I was really excited. I thought I'd have my first backyard fruit, uh, but the, the late frost that we got wiped out all the blooms. So yeah, you want to eat a pawpaw? Yeah. I'll get you a clean chair. Can you smell the coffee roasting? I can. Yeah, that's La Prima. They're block, two blocks away. I love it. Yeah, and it's, you can't even eat uh, or get the coffee there. It's just the wholesale yeah. roasting, you know, you, so it's too bad. They just tempt us. They're marketing boy. Yeah. Definitely want to see. That. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Uh, well, this is from Kentucky, but can, you know, North America. Can you believe that color? No, or the texture. Honestly, yeah. like even watching you, it's like cutting butter. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'm I'm kind of blown away. Look at those seeds, like long dark brown seeds. They're huge. Yeah, about like a lima bean. Very big. So will you save these? Yeah. The seeds? Yeah. So this is, uh, before you dig in, I, I don't want to make you wait, but it's a cultivar, uh, I forget which one, that we took back from Kentucky after going to the conference. So it's a really good pawpaw. So you can use a spoon, you can dig in, you don't eat the seed and you don't eat the skin. It does smell like a banana, a little bit. Well, I can definitely see why they're making ice cream out of them. Yeah, it just lends itself to it, right? It's if you got this... froze it, it would basically be ice cream without yeah. the cream. <laughs> you wouldn't have to add anything. No. Right, right. It's got that custardy texture that's just so perfect for that. So I'm actually interested in how you would describe describe it or what it reminds you of. It reminds me of... I mean, I hate to be so obvious, but it reminds me of custard. Honestly, yeah. like 
almost like if you took a creme brulee with that sweet sort of like sugary taste but not cloying and turned it into a fruit that's what it would taste like to me this is what you have yeah i can see why people are saying mango but it would definitely be like an overripe mango like that mm -hmm. that sort of like bright flavor that mangoes have this doesn't have mm -hmm. definitely more of like a subdued custardy but still tropical fruit uh, creme brulee and a fruit in uh, some of my research, I, I came across an old text. They're writing in Ohio, describing the country. And, and they said, here in, in this county, they have fruit like creme brulee hanging from the trees. So I nailed it. You're, you're on point with the historical reference. Wow, that is so amazing. Yeah, this is a great one, you know? This is just a really good pop-off. Would you mind if I kept one of these seeds? No, yeah, go for it. I don't suppose they'd grow in a large pot in my apartment. <laughs> no, but you should get it started, and then who knows where your life will be in, in two, three years. You, you may have a place to put it. You could bring it to your parents' house. You could give it to a friend. You know, who knows? That's what I did. I just started planting them, and I didn't think I'd have a backyard. And then eventually, oh, I have a backyard now. So I was able to give it a home. You'll have to take two because you need that cross-pollination. You saw it's so important. Right. Um, and then it does, you do have to stratify the seed. You have to, you can't let it dry out. You can't freeze it. You keep it in a moist medium um, over winter in your refrigerator. And then you plant it in the spring. And then you wait three more months uh, before you see anything emerge from the soil. I'm going to have to have you uh, maybe send me some instructions. Yes, I can do that. I can do that. And then I'll I'll publicize them. So if anybody else sure. has a papa and great. finds a seed, they can do the same. Well, Annie, thank you so much. This has been such an enlightening morning. Yeah, I'm happy to share. Give me food, that's what I want. To learn more about Pawpaws, go to Andrew Moore's website, www.thepawpawbook.wordpress.com. For more soundbite, visit our archives at www.pghcitypaper.com. Until next time, go out and have yourself a food adventure. <laughs>